Dragon Slayer Audio. Hi, this is Bill Oberst Jr. I wanted to do these broadcasts because right now we're spending a lot of time at home, all of us, and uh, because I think our imagination may be starved. Um, I remember reading that Ray Bradbury said once, we know far too much of reality. And I think that's the case for us right now. Sometime it's good to go into the dark woods. That's where I'd like to take you tonight. And if it's not night where you are, I'd like to ask you to consider making it night in your soul. Try to turn off the lights, either literally or metaphorically. Try to be very comfortable in your surroundings, in your bed, in your place of rest, wherever that might be, in your body. The length of these broadcasts will be dictated by the material. I've chosen Gothic because uh, it's a place that I'm comfortable in old castles under stark bare trees in the moonlight. We'll get into some new material later on if the shows continue, if you like them. I thought we'd start with some of the classics. So tonight, if you will, I intend to bring you a Nathaniel Hawthorne piece, a nice short early Gothic work from 1830, which features a classic Gothic character, the crone, the witch, a stand-in, of course, for all older women, but Hawthorne didn't know that in his day. We do, so we'll make allowances as we listen. She's probably more wise than evil, but we will read her as Hawthorne wrote her. And then if we have time afterwards, uh, we'll finish up with an Edgar Allan Poe poem, which I loved as a kid, a very strange kid. <laughs> So let's start with Nathaniel Hawthorne's short piece, The Hollow of the Three Hills. In those strange old times, when fantastic dreams and madmen's reveries were realized among the actual circumstances of life, two persons met together at an appointed hour and place. One was a lady, graceful in form, fair of feature, though pale and troubled, and smitten with an untimely blight in what should have been the fullest bloom of her years. The other was an ancient and meanly dressed woman of ill-favored aspect, and so withered, shrunken, and decrepit that even the space since she began to decay must have exceeded the ordinary term of human existence." In the spot where they encountered, no mortal could observe them. Three little hills stood near each other, and down in the midst of them sunk a hollow basin, almost mathematically circular, two or three hundred feet in breadth, and of such depth that a stately cedar might be but just barely visible above the sides. Dwarf pines were numerous upon the hills and partly fringed the outer verge of the intermediate hollow, 
within which there was nothing but the brown grass of October, and here and there a tree trunk that had fallen long ago and lay moldering with no green successor from its roots. One of these masses of decaying wood, formerly a majestic oak, rested close beside a pool of green and sluggish water at the bottom of the basin. Such scenes as this, or so gray tradition tells, were once the resort of the power of evil and his plighted subjects, and here, at midnight, or on the dim verge of evening, they were said to stand round the mantling pool, disturbing its putrid waters in the performance of an impious baptismal rite. The chill beauty of an autumnal sunset was now gilding the three hilltops, whence a paler tint stole down their sides into the hollow. Well, here is our pleasant meeting come to pass, said the aged crone, according as thou hast desired. Say quickly what thou wouldst have of me, for there is but a short hour that we may tarry here. As the old withered woman spoke, a smile glimmered upon her countenance like lamplight on the wall of a tomb. The lady trembled and cast her eyes upward to the verge of the basin, as if meditating to return with her purpose unaccomplished, but it was not so ordained. "'I am a stranger in this land, as you know,' she said at length. "'Whence I come, it matters not. "'But, oh, I have left behind me those "'with whom my fate was intimately bound "'and from whom I am cut off forever. "'There is a weight in my bosom "'that I cannot away with, "'and I have come hither to inquire of their welfare. "'And who is there by this green pool "'that can bring thee news from the ends of the earth?' "'cried the old woman, peering into the lady's face. "'Not from my lips mayest thou hear these tidings. "'Yet be thou bold, "'and the daylight shall not pass away from yonder hilltop "'before thy wish be granted.' "'I will do your bidding, though I die,' replied the lady desperately. "'The old woman seated herself on the trunk of the fallen tree, "'threw aside the hood that shrouded her grey locks, "'and beckoned her companion to draw near. "'Kneel down,' she said, "'and lay your forehead on my knees.' The lady hesitated a moment, but the anxiety that had long been kindling burned fiercely up within her. As she knelt down, the border of her garment was dipped into the pool. She laid her forehead on the old woman's knees, and the latter drew a cloak about the lady's face, so that she was now in darkness. Then she heard the muttered words of prayer 
in the midst of which she started and would have arisen. Oh, let me flee, let me flee and hide myself, that they may not look upon me, she cried, but with returning recollection she hushed herself. She waited, and she was as still as death, for it seemed now as if other voices familiar in infancy and unforgotten through many wanderings and in all the vicissitudes of her heart and fortune, other voices were mingling with the accents of the prayer. At first, the words were faint and indistinct, not rendered so by distance, but rather resembling the dim pages of a book which we strive to read by an imperfect and gradually brightening light. In such a matter, as the old woman's prayer proceeded, did those voices strengthen upon the ear, until at length the petition ended and the conversation of an aged man and a woman broken and decayed, like himself, became distinctly audible to the lady as she knelt. But those strangers appeared not to stand in the hollow depth between the three hills, their voices were encompassed and re-echoed by the walls of a chamber, the windows of which were rattling in the breeze, the regular vibration of a clock, the crackling of a fire, and the tinkling of the embers as they fell among the ashes. All of these rendered the scene almost as vivid as if painted to the eye. There, by a melancholy hearth sat these two old people, the man calmly despondent, the woman querulous and tearful, and their words were all of sorrow. They spoke of a daughter, a wanderer they knew not where, a daughter bearing dishonor along with her, and leaving shame and affliction to bring their gray heads to the grave. They alluded to other and more recent woe, but in the midst of their talk their voices seemed to melt into the sound of the wind sweeping mournfully among the autumn leaves, and when the lady lifted her eyes, there was she kneeling in the hollow between the three hills. Hmm, a weary and lonesome time yonder old couple have of it, remarked the old woman smiling in the lady's face. "'And did you also hear them?' exclaimed the lady, a sense of intolerable humiliation triumphing over her agony and fear. "'Yes, and we have yet more to hear,' replied the old woman. "'Wherefore, cover thy face quickly.' Again, the withered hag poured forth the monotonous words of a prayer that was not meant to be acceptable in heaven, and soon, in the pauses of her breath, strange murmurings began to thicken, gradually increasing so as to drown and overpower the charm by which they grew. Shrieks pierced through the obscurity of sound and were succeeded by the singing of sweet female voices, which, in their turn, gave way to a wild roar of laughter, broken suddenly by groanings and sobs, forming altogether a ghastly confusion of terror and mourning and mirth 
chains were rattling, fierce and stern voices uttered threats, and the scourge resounded at their command. All these noises deepened and became substantial to the listener's ear till she could distinguish every soft and dreamy accent of the love songs that died causelessly into funeral hymns. She shuddered at the unprovoked wrath which blazed up like the spontaneous kindling of flame, and she grew faint at the fearful merriment raging miserably around her. In the midst of this wild scene, where unbound passions jostled each other in a drunken career, there was one solemn voice, the voice of a man. And a melodious voice, it may once have been. He went to and fro continually, and his feet sounded upon the floor. In each member of that frenzied company, whose own burning thoughts had become their exclusive world, he sought a listener for the story of his individual wrong, and interpreted their laughter and tears as his reward of scorn or pity. He spoke of a woman. He spoke of a wife who had broken her holiest vows. He spoke of a home and a heart made desolate. Even as he went on, the shout, the laugh, the shriek, the sob rose up in unison till they changed into the hollow, fitful, and uneven sound of the wind as it fought among the pine trees on those three lonely hills. The lady looked up, and there was the withered woman smiling in her face. Couldst thou have thought there were such merry times in a madhouse? inquired the old woman. True, said the lady to herself, there is mirth within its walls, but misery, oh, misery without. Wouldst thou hear more? demanded the old woman. There is replied the woman faintly. There is one other voice that I would fain listen to again. Then lay down thy head speedily upon my knees, that thou mayest get thee hence before the hour be past. The golden skirts of day were yet lingering upon the hills, but deep shades obscured the hollow and the pool, as if somber night were rising thence to overspread the world. Again that evil woman began to weave her spell. Long did it proceed unanswered, till the knolling of a bell stole in among the intervals of her words, like a clang that had traveled far over valley and rising ground and was just ready to die in the air. The lady shook upon her companion's knees as she heard that boding sound. Stronger it grew and sadder and deepened into the tone of a death bell, knolling dolefully from some ivory-mantled tower and bearing tidings of mortality and woe to the cottage, to the hall, and to the solitary wayfarer, that all might weep for the doom appointed in good time to them. And then 
came a measured tread, passing slowly, slowly on, as of mourners, with a small coffin, their garments trailing on the ground so that the ear could measure the length of their melancholy array. Before them went the priest, reading the burial service, while the leaves of his book were rustling in the breeze. And though no voice but his was heard to speak aloud, still there were revilings, whispered but distinct, from women and from men, and breathed against the daughter who had wrung the aged hearts of her parents, against the wife who had betrayed the trusting fondness of her husband, against the mother who had left her child to die. The sweeping sounds of the funeral train faded away like a thin vapor, and the wind that just before had seemed to shake the coffin, moaned sadly round the verge of the hollow between three hills. But when the old woman stirred the kneeling lady, she lifted not her head. <laughs> well, said the withered crone, chuckling to herself, here has been a sweet hour's sport. My goodness. Well, ladies, I suppose that tells you what happens to you if you're not virtuous. Of course, in those days, they didn't write about men who weren't virtuous, although I'm sure they were as plentiful then as they are now. Perhaps some of you listening ladies would like to write a modern Gothic tale. I'll leave that challenge with you. I see by the clock on the wall that our time approaches an ending. So let's speed on to our closing poem, which is from Edgar Allan Poe today. <laughs> I memorized this poem by heart when I was in middle school. What a weird kid. It's The Conqueror Worm by Edgar Allan Poe. And it goes like this. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years, an angel throng, bewinged, benight in veils and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes in the form of God on high mutter and mumble low and hither and thither fly. Mere puppets they who come and go at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. <laughs> that motley drama Oh, to be sure, it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not through a circle that ever returneth in to the self-same spot, and much of madness and more of sin and horror, the soul of the plot. But see, amid the mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude.
a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. God, it writhes, it writhes with mortal pangs. The mimes become its food, and seraphs sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form the curtain, a funeral pall, comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels, oh, the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy, man, and its hero, the conqueror worm. I'm so glad you chose to join me tonight. Sleep well. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere and in someone's soul. Good night.